Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, David Cohen. Over to you, David. All right, and thank you and uh, welcome everyone. Today is Tuesday, July 28th. I am David Cohen, I'm the president of the IAB and thank you for joining us uh, at IAB There, which is our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. Today, I am super excited to welcome uh, not only a colleague, but a friend who I've known for a very long time, uh, Amanda Richman, who is the CEO of the US for Wavemaker, and we're gonna be talking about leadership during difficult times. Before we bring Amanda, oh, we are bringing Amanda into the stream, which is fine. I was gonna embarrass her, which I will not do for a very, very long time. We are not gonna read an extensive bio, but uh, I am gonna highlight just a couple things that are, these are really awesome, um, kind of uh, achievements, four A's, 100 greatest people in advertising, ad tech industry achievement, advertising age media maven, media week, media all-star, advertising age 40 under 40, amazing career. And I feel like we've uh, experienced a lot of it kind of alongside one another, which has been, uh, which has been awesome. So thank you for, uh, for joining. And I'll just give uh, everyone just the, the background on our kind of uh, how we know each other. Amanda hired me in 1998, which I was just calculating is 22 years ago, which is absolutely astounding, uh, at a company called Thunderhouse, uh, which was a IPG, Interpublic Owned Digital Marketing Company to help run the, uh, the digital media team. And it was, uh, I mean, it was a great, great experience back then, all the beauty of the beginning of the uh, internet business and the, the bust and the boom and the everything in between. But uh, it's been a it's been a great ride and thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you, David. No, what a what a ride. We were just kids back then, right? Just kids in Silicon Valley and you know, inventing the new banner standards and getting out there and negotiating for a million dollar annual budget that seemed like the moon to us. It was yes, a terrifying kind of uh, reminisce this entire time because I think other people will get bored. But the one thing I just wanted to say, I was just on the phone uh, earlier today with someone from Coca-Cola. And uh, that was, I don't know if you remember, that was the very first uh, pitch that um, we had, which was to be the agency of record for Coca-Cola North America. And I will remember to this day, when you think about your industry highlights, your career highlights, that was absolutely one of them. And, and we won. And it was like it was uh, it was like we were legitimate, like we were legitimate um, digital marketing uh, mavens after we landed the Coca-Cola business, which was uh, absolutely awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the meat of the matter. OK, we're going to talk about uh, all, all manner of things, uh, not the least of which is managing teams uh, and managing an agency in the midst of probably one of the most peculiar uh, and difficult times in our uh, careers. So talk to me a little bit about how you, uh, how do you manage? How do you keep the team um, motivated and engaged? Maybe you have some tricks of the trade that, that you could share. Thanks, maybe some old school tricks from back in the day, but uh, definitely challenging times that we're all navigating through. And there's this phased approach to it that I think we've taken that everyone's needed to embrace, which is your, your first few weeks were all, all around just the connection around tech and how our team's working and are we up and running and, and thankfully we had some of that already in place with some new ways of working moving into the cloud when we launched Wavemaker. But quickly you realize that the tech connection is the, the easy part at the end of the day. It's this human connection that we're missing 
and that we need to be really thoughtful about what our plan was to keep people engaged and feeling connected to our culture and our clients and our teams. So we put yeah. together an overall touchpoint plan that talked about not only how we do the daily check-ins on health, on mood and mental health and what the deliverables are, but how do we start to put in place also just a weekly town hall that we call Shop Talk that we're still going with and I predict we're going to continue to go with because it becomes this platform to just bring everyone together, make sure everyone's hearing the same message and not the rumor mail, sharing great work and now we've pivoted to even doing training and talking about more study case studies and work with clients and just making that a connection point that people can count on when they've got so much going on in their days otherwise that's unpredictable. So you need some of those benchmarks as well. And then just some light things too. You gotta recognize some, some humor and opportunities to inspire. So we do what we call daily doses to get the message out and then start to think about the opportunity that we could go beyond communication to actual training and start to unlock some of the training that may have sat in some of the practice silos and just democratize that across the agency. So with, with time, with remote working, there are some opportunities to say, okay, how can we actually think differently about bringing people together in these town halls or conference room trainings and, and democratize what we have for content and for our messaging and make sure people feel connected in that way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think of, I think you might've touched on this, the phases of how we have migrated over the past couple of months. In, in the beginning, there was kind of like this disbelief, like I, I cannot believe what is going on in the world and in, in the business. And there was this period of novelty. Like there was, uh, we were all kind of re-experiencing how do we uh, be as productive as we were. And then I, I guess the question is, have you experienced or has your team experienced any burnout? What, what phase are we in now? Because uh, I think the novelty largely has worn off. This is kind of like the new, the new normal. So are we in burnout phase or, or how would you characterize it? We worry about that at Waybaker because this pace of responsiveness to our clients' needs and all of the work that went into that, while we delivered with excellence there, the speed, that is not sustainable to always be in that always on mode, to always be reacting. And so how do we create that space for people to have a digital detox um, and also to think now ahead of what the next few months could be like? Because we're now at that phase of there's a rhythm to the business, but there's still high expectations from the clients on the response rates, on the nimbleness, and we need to create space for people to still be learning and to be relaxing and to be taking care of themselves. And, yeah. and some of that is just being really clear on our messaging too, to say mental health is just as important as physical health and we're expecting everyone to take mental health days. We, we shut down the agency to do that. We actually got our, our clients blessing and support for that as well to say, here's a mental right. health day, but we want you to be tuned into your team and make sure that people are doing that on a regular basis, just to, to create that variety and that space in their life to make sure that it's always on, always in front of a screen mode is in bringing people to the, to the brink of exhaustion. Yeah, it is, it is, uh, <laughs> it's uh, super intense. I mean, just being on these video calls over and over and over again, you're always um, kind of laser focused at what's going on on the on the camera and the screen, and just a series of that throughout the throughout the day does take its toll. So I, I totally agree with you on that. Let me just ask you about because uh, I wonder about onboarding uh, and recruiting. Uh, you know, at the IAB, we have a pretty small team overall, so there's not a lot of uh, movement in or out. But I, I I remember back to the agency days, there was a lot of folks that were kind of coming and going and onboarding and acculturating folks into the culture is sometimes difficult. How does that work in this, uh, in this virtual world? 
Exactly. And another opportunity to completely rethink your process because you're right. In agencies, typically you go to any agency, any day, the lobby has kids fresh out of college. Yeah, You've got this right, recruitment machine, right? And they're all dressed up for their suit and they're having face-to-face -face meetings and you're doing that cultural fit look as well as that. How are we thinking about their expertise? And now we need to do it all in a different environment which actually opens up a lot of opportunity for us to think also about cultural ad versus this kind of that presence of who they are in person in that interview moment in a, in a physical space. We can go deeper, I think, into their experience in that conversation and how they come across the screen with the confidence that a client would see as well. So you're seeing that dimension in a different way. Um, we're also just thinking about mainly how to recruit from outside of just the cities that we work in. Because yep. that's also been yeah. a, almost a universal truth that folks that you hire from need to be working in that office on that client. And now this opens up a whole other world for us to better utilize our talent across all of our offices and give them career paths that are much more varied than they might if they were just working on the clients in that office. And in particular, to focus on other cities and communities and middle America and access a whole new level of talent too that before we would have we would have turned away from because of just the physical location. And part of that is also we we work in big expensive cities. And yeah. that actually doesn't yeah. allow for people to start out as associates in the agency business, given what agencies pay. So now we unlock a whole group of talent that has different needs. Um, and we can look at economic diversity mm -hmm. as well, instead of recruiting from the same schools and the same socioeconomic class. Yeah, that's totally yeah. true. And I actually heard other people um, say something similar. And and we'll move on to a different topic in a second. But the last thing I would just say is that, you know, as well as I, that, you know, part of the the appeal of our industry for, um, you know, young folks coming into it is the is the social aspect is the kind of going out to the lunches and the events and the and the dinners and stuff, which uh, is obviously a different, uh, different ball of wax uh, these days. So hopefully, God willing, this won't last for a very long time because I think that they're they're missing out on kind of some of the stuff I remember fondly back to my early days it was just so much um so much fun it was a it was a pressure cooker to kind of uh, work during the day and then you got to kind of release some of that um during the kind of social outings but hopefully we'll we'll get back but it's, to that that's a huge part right I mean if you look back and back to where we started with Underhouse the the social engagement those opportunities we we have careers built on those relationships yeah. and that kind of understanding and working with people and therefore knowing 20 years later, you can work through a deal with them that they'll become a client or there's a relationship there that just Absolutely. goes so deep that allows us to get things done. And I, I want that generation to have that same experience as well. So we may have to figure out virtual ways to do that. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's um, let's change topics. Um, so the topic I thought I thought would be helpful for us to just talk about now, which is another kind of big one in the industry is um you know social injustice injustice uh racism everything that we have been experiencing uh in the world um not just over the past couple of months but it's been kind of uh intensified uh over the past couple of months um and, and awareness has been heightened uh over the past couple of months what what is wavemaker doing um to address um that situation and kind of uh, make a move to uh to do positive change or positive good Absolutely. No, it's really emotional time, right? For I think everyone in this business and agency. And, and I think for us, one of the things that we did was first, not just to react and react with a list of initiatives and programs and things that we do to address diversity and inclusion, but to sit back and listen 
and to really listen to our employee resource group called Melanin that represents our Black and Latinx community and hear from them what their experiences are. Make sure we had that in a format that other people could now be more aware about the role of allyship and the role they can play there and microaggressions and what that looks like and how we can then address that. And from that, then we could inform what are the priorities that we're hearing that they would most benefit from and the agency would benefit from as well. So listen, and then into a phase of education and acting and from unconscious bias training to looking at pay equity to making sure that we're considering our whole learning and development programs and really enriching that, launching a mentorship program. We're, we're now in the midst of rolling out a number of actions that are near term and happening fast, but also an eye towards what's slow and sustainable over time. And that's where opportunities like mentorship as we think about elevating leadership, making sure we have better representation across our executive committee and more. While it takes time, we want the urgency against that, but also the thoughtfulness to make sure we're matching what our communities are telling us and, and listening ongoing and measuring against that. Mm. So yeah, yeah. recruiting question, one, one thing we're putting out there is that from moving forward, all associates, the pool of associate hires, those kind of first roles in the agency, we're committed to 50% of our associates being people of color. If we can do that right, that will create a, a generational impact within the agencies when you think about how that then transcends to their promotion path, their increase into executive positions. And so we hope in some small way that will make a difference. Yeah, well, I mean, you touched on one of the things that we have been talking about a lot uh, at the IB, which I think is just an acknowledgement that we simply do not have enough um, people coming into our business, into the marketing, media, digital business that are of color uh, for us to be able to actually make a meaningful impact on kind of um, on the industry. So we've been really focused a lot on uh, colleges and universities, historically black colleges and universities. We brought them in, as I know we've talked about before, to, to the new fronts yeah. to get a sense of what is the business about. We have an ongoing initiative that's actually going to be launching uh, today. Um, that's going to be kind of, we're going to do exactly as you're discussing, not have a knee-jerk reaction with a list of kind of like uh, what we're going to do immediately, but have some discipline about it and make sure that this is a long and measured and strategic plan to actually uh, do something about uh, the inequities that exist in the industry. So um, I'm encouraged by uh, what we're doing so far, but you know, the, the truth will be in six months from now, we should still be talking about it. So it's not just a kind of a, a flash in the pan. And I think that's something that we're going to hold each other uh, accountable to. Yep. So um, exactly. Now, what what you and Randall and Cheryl are doing, it's it's really exciting. And you put it out there from not only the new friends, but more. It's, it's a sense that you're also making it a conversation with the agency and media partners and CROs, et cetera, so that all boats can rise and we can learn from each other. It's a huge role that this organization We're trying. Has. We're trying. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Thank you. Um, what about uh, educating kind of clients uh, during this time? Because I, I know that there's no, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. So clients come to agencies and look for guidance, guidance in terms of messaging, what should we be doing? Uh, how do you advise clients during this time? Yeah. Okay, first off, this is in some ways the moment that we have been wanting for a long time when it comes to the opportunities for agencies to actually show their mettle and show the role they can play as a trusted advisor again. Yeah. We've, we're kind of coming out of the cycle that felt like it was so procurement driven and that media in particular, but I think creative and production as well, were under pressures to drive savings. And it became almost like 
these organizations are, are banks to help drive more savings to the bottom line through reduced yeah. fees or through media negotiations instead of what can we do to grow your business together. And now in these times of both crises, COVID as well as systemic racism, the opportunity to have conversations with clients that really bring media and message together in a more thoughtful way. Um, that talks about, okay, what's the value of your brand when it comes to the service it can provide, the utility it can provide to its customers, and then our knowledge of the consumer insights and the marketplace and the dynamic overall so we can start to shift into new spaces where we're seeing behavior shift. Um, becomes just a, a, a blank slate for us to finally kind of chart out what's the course for the future for them and be at the table with that business conversation versus only a, a media negotiation conversation or a creative brief. Yes, amen. Uh, I remember those days uh, fondly, and um, I do think that you know, moving, or not fondly, moving out of a kind of uh, you know procurement-led, efficiency-led conversation to more strategic. How do we kind of um, operate um, for the betterment of our business all up, as opposed to just doing something that's uh, necessarily cheaper? I think that's a that's a great that's a great point. Uh, one of the I one think. of the um, things that we have a supposition about, which uh, I know that we've talked about, I think before is that the uh, belief is, is that we are now seeing uh, rapid scale innovation um, that certainly from a consumer standpoint, um, you know, people are adjusting their media consumption habits based on kind of being from home and having some more uh, time to kind of watch uh, streaming and connect to television. There's two schools of thought. School of thought one is in times of crisis, people will kind of recede back to the, the warm and comfortable embrace of what they know has worked in the past. And the other school of thought is that we're actually know we're going to push forward and and drive uh, innovation. I guess the question is, what do you think, and what do your clients think? Exactly. Personally, I think, and what we're saying at WaveMaker is, we need to continue to, to provoke growth. We need to keep our foot on the gas and drive towards innovation because the change is so dramatic. The circumstances demand that, and we can't just look at the tried and true because that's based on, on research, on past performance, and, and frankly, a very different world than we have right now and that we're living in. So how do we do that? But how do we do that at the right pace of the clients? So when we talk about uh, provocation and provocative planning, what we're talking about is how do we bring them along on this journey towards what are the right platforms, opportunities, new audiences they pursue, um, but at a pace that actually allows them to learn iteratively and not just rush to what's the shiny new opportunity. I think it was a bit of our dot-com learnings back in the day as well. So how do we have it grounded in the fact and data? Um, how do we take what we've been doing and optimize it and make it one bit better while also continue to push for a test and learn roadmap that gives us the learnings against new platforms, new audiences and opportunities and quickly gets that into kind of the new standard that becomes part of their base foundation plan. And I imagine and, and you live this across all channels, right? There's innovation everywhere. So it wouldn't be right to say TV, print, out of home, traditional. It's all no, about no, a no. shift to digital. No. There's so much innovation happening across all channels. Now it's how do you connect that holistically and make it an experience that actually drives your business? Yeah, completely. And the thing that is interesting is when you think about some of the decisions that marketers make in terms of where they spend money, it's built on a variety of things, obviously, but market mix models, which have been around for some time, which have been in some cases, um, uh, gross tools, in other cases, more precision tools, the world has changed so much. The question is, are those market mix models appropriately calibrated 
to account for uh, the world in which we're living. And I, I think that's, uh, we, we've heard that actually marketers are taking a hard look at, at that uh, because that, that, that might, needs to, might need to be overcome or overhauled in a, in a significant way based on the world that we're, that we're currently living in. All right, let's, let's change topics. Um, change topics to, I think, were you there for the birth of Wavemaker? I think that your Wavemaker is now yes. three years old, right? Three years old, if my memory oh. is uh, is right. And you were the- A mere, a mere toddler. <laughs> a, mere, a mere toddler, that's right. And you were there from the beginning. So as you've seen that uh, mature, over the past three years, um, maybe still in its, uh, I wouldn't say infancy, but toddlership. What are you most proud of? What, what, what have you done that you've, uh, you think is the, and you look back and say, wow, that was the greatest achievement that we've had so far? That's great. Great question. Um, as I think about three years, it's, it comes down to execution against a clear plan and staying that course through three years, which is maybe parallel to what we talked about with, with clients kind of staying the course too. There's the, the plan that we put in place early on that really focused first on how do we develop the right culture as we merge these two agencies, MEC and Maxis, two group M agencies into a new, a new being, not only just a new location, but also bringing people together and laying out what are our behaviors and values, what do we stand for, how do we tell that story to clients, what are the right clients for us? And so that was a, a certainly a first phase, but from there, then we started to look at how do we think about capabilities to help grow our clients' business. So year two became execution against capability growth in data sciences, in commerce, precision marketing, and bringing together search social and programmatic, which now has led to this year three, um, not only pursuit of new business, but up-leveling the work we're doing for clients, and then how are we leading the thought leadership of clients too in all of these spaces. So I think that, I step back, what's, what I'm proud of is, is the plan, but just executing the plan as well, because we've all been in situations where a business plan looks great when you have it in that board meeting, that one moment of the year, and then you go off and do the same thing. And the executive team, everyone at Wavemaker has been exposed to what our goals are. Every year we have annual planning and they're part of that. And so together we've made all these changes and, and really ended up with a, a very diverse and inclusive and resilient culture. So I'm, I'm probably most proud of the people and the resilience they've shown through all of this change and their commitment to always be client first as we bring new capabilities to life and, and new ways to work together. Awesome. Because invariably, if you have a three-year plan, I mean, everyone's been there. You have a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a, even a one-year plan, and then you, you run up against some adversity and then people just throw the yep. plan out the window and then we have to rethink our plan. So having some, you know, stick to itness, uh, if that's a word, uh, and being kind of, you know, a, ability to kind of bob and weave based on the situation, but have a plan and execute, I think is a, that's a great one. Um, that's a good one. You know, you mentioned new business and I have to say, I think about the new business machine at an agency, <laughs> which I enjoyed a great deal. Uh, I really loved that whole new business hunt and, Learning about a new you business. You were so good, a, David. A, a too. Theater, you rocked the drama it. Of it. Yeah, it was great. You won a ton of business. How does that work in this world? How does a new business pitch meeting happen virtually? How, how does it work? I tell you, it is it is the true opportunity of do you have a culture that connects? Do you have people that like each other and can work on this business? And when you see everyone on screen, is this who you want on your team? I mean, we all know basically pitches are won ultimately by the people. 
All agencies yeah. have tools branded different ways. All agencies have a cloud slide. We all have a logo slide of who we work with. We've all got case studies. I think ours are stronger, but regardless, there is a formula to that. But it's the people you put in the room that can connect. And actually now we have a better opportunity to do that when you think of physically what this experience is with folks of all different backgrounds and expertise versus in a stand-up conference room where maybe we're spending too much time dressing the room and getting the placemats and the flowers and flying there right. and rehearsing in conference rooms for three days. All that time <laughs> towards what the solution is, all of this time, like how do we connect and really bring the warmth and the culture and chemistry across the screen is, is really a better fit for how the client will work with us. And if they see this connection and say, this is the team that, I, that has my back, and will will run up hills for me, then I think this is actually an environment where we could win more business on the things that are less superficial for more about that conversation. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I guess we make do, right? This is the this is a lot of life, yeah. lot in life that we've been given. So you uh, but I think that yeah. some of it I've heard some of it is even more intimate than because um, you're looking into people's homes and to kind of things that you wouldn't okay. necessarily uh, have purview into. And and there is definitely chemistry that can be achieved. Uh, in this virtual world. So that's super interesting. Let me ask you like maybe two or three more questions um, and then uh, we'll do a quick lightning round, which is, as you know, my favorite. So the question I wanted to ask you is um, in terms of new and innovative companies or technologies that you've seen, it must be difficult kind of getting the same level of, I would think, uh, people pitching you on kind of new fangled uh, opportunities in the world of marketing. Is there anything that you've seen over the past couple of months that you're like, wow, that is a, that is really cool. Either a virtual event platform or something to help a, uh, a marketer or a brand achieve their goals. That's great. You know, it's, it's interesting as I think about that, there is less time for those pitches. And so I'm sure that's a struggle for folks on the sales side of the business because so much of our days are the video cameras and the experience of wanting to connect with our own team and clients. So there's a little less room from that than there used to be. Um, but we have spent some time just thinking about remote working and what we could do to enhance that. And, and I came across this interesting company from uh, Suitable Technologies. And it's called Beamly, and it's kind of like a, a laptop screen on two poles on a Segway base that, that can move around to offices that you could remotely control. So, David, you could be sitting in Long Island and remotely navigate the office, and Randall, if he is in the office, could see you at your height with your face and a video stream and have maybe a different conversation. Oh, right, very high oh, very Jensen. <laughs> And maybe anyway, very awkward if you go into a meeting that no one wants you in and here you are. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting to think about how do we bridge these spaces when we'll be going back to offices and probably all wearing masks. And the Zoom conferences aren't always good at larger groups and seeing everyone. So there might be a way to have some more spontaneous conversations instead of a scheduled meeting. But I'm sure there's awesome. a lot more out there. But yeah. My mind is just going to uh, a Randall Rothenberg on a uh, on a kind of couple of wheels and a, uh, and a stick. At you. And I just uh, I I, I uh, can't even uh, think about that. Anyway, all right. So let's go on to our last question and then our lightning round. So you um, were part of Advanced Television before Advanced Television was even called Advanced Television. Full service network, uh, Time Warner, Orlando. I remember it vividly when I started getting in the business. I was like, wow, this is freaking amazing. This is uh, the future, quote unquote. 22 years later, 
we are still pondering our navel in some cases. We have made some material progress, there's no doubt. When does, um, when does the advanced TV um, opportunity realize itself? Like, uh, what, what, what is it gonna take for us to get that kind of, um, that movement in that space to the point where we will have arrived? Yeah, boy, 22 years of a lot of distraction and maybe not enough commitment in between, right? It was definitely interactive television, the full service network was that first test of what's a user experience, what's the user interface look like, what's the functionality of interacting with the TV when you had this kind of carousel uh, monitor and, and that kind of sparked, I think, a lot of thinking around then the web experience, which basically eclipsed it very quickly. And in fact, they shut our unit down at Time Warner to fund Pathfinder or be wow. a part of that because everything was shifting to the web. And this was like a $4,000 set-top box that clearly wasn't going to scale. But fast forward then throughout the web, and there was a point in time, maybe early, mid-2000s, where I thought it was going to take up again. And soon enough, it becomes mobile screens. And, and that's certainly an area where everyone's been pursuing and focusing more on app development and that experience for the last, what, five, 10 years. It seemed to also park it to the side a bit. It's almost like we only have so much mental bandwidth for new platforms yeah. and opportunities. Yeah. There's been so much going on across all the big players also. But I think underlying all of that was certainly measurement and what's the opportunity to connect all the components. And it feels like we're closer to that now, whether it's through Nielsen Media Impact or other partners, the measurability is a big part of it to rationalize. How do we think about addressable? And I think this, this notion now of how do you bring digital into TV and vice versa and create more precision and targeting it's happening and really the scale is there too. And I think this next shift now with more of the streaming apps and the, the popularity and the rise of those will continue to just shift more dollars to how do you make sure that you're reaching these right audiences with a diversity of messages too versus the same old approach. So maybe it's so here. within maybe our, our time is lifetime. now. Yeah, the time is now. COVID, within our career For addressable TV. <laughs> we can see the future, awesome. Okay, great, let's end. With our lightning round, which, as you know, is my favorite part. We're going to say, I'm going to say a couple of a series of words, and you're going to give me a quick uh, first thing that comes to your mind. And, and I think you're going to be a pro at this. All right. So um, are you ready? Ready. All right. 5G. Seamless. Artificial intelligence. Need human intervention. Hmm. ACR. Uh, an alternative. Upfront. Flexibility. That's the story mm -hmm. of this year's Upfronts. Flexibility. Yes. Attribution. Attribution. Um, yeah. Decision making. Drives decision making. Data. Like water, like air. Oh, nice. Addressability. Addressability, precision at scale. Podcasts. Uh, storytelling. Zoom meetings. Reunions, <laughs> like we're hmm. having. Nice. Frequency camping. Like you have every Friday, actually, with the IOD sessions. That's just like yes, a big reunion right. of the industry. It's awesome. Frequency camping. Uh, necessity. User experience improvement. Netflix. Oh, maybe on the decline yeah little little uh, wind out of the sail all right and then finally ces 
Oh, wow. Officially no go, right? As far as physical, I just saw the announcement. Yes. So we're all going to be doing CES like this, David. Oh dear, it's Vegas! I, I couldn't even imagine Vegas in the era in the era of uh, COVID nineteen. How that even makes uh, remote sense? So uh, that does that does um, sound right that it's going to be virtual. But um, anyway, yeah. that's uh, it's going to be an interesting year next year to see how the events play out. Uh, to see when we potentially come out of this cocoon that we uh, that we seem to be in. I think that we are out of time, Amanda Richmond. You are uh, awesome as always. It was great to see you. Thank oh, you for being so on. good. To see you. Thank and you. have a, uh, a good rest of the week. I'm sure I'll see you on our Friday calls and uh, be well and take care. Absolutely. And thank you and the IB for everything you do. You're the best. Thanks very much. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'm going to just wind up uh, with a couple of uh, announcements. I don't know if you knew this, but we have a IAB series of podcasts. Uh, you can listen to our whole archive. Um, uh, or you could just listen to individual uh, episodes. It's not just IAB there uh, either. On Tuesdays, our IAB policy podcast features experts discussing the legal and regulatory developments changing the industry. On Wednesdays, IAB leaders, myself, Randall Rothenberg, Dennis Buckheim, discuss what's urgent in digital advertising on IAB Real. If you're interested, go to iab.com forward slash podcasts to get everything you need. On tomorrow's IAB There, we're excited to welcome John Nardone, CEO of Flash Talking, where we'll look to discuss improving and increasing measurement standards as we approach a cookie-less future. So tune in for that, it should be a great show. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Carrie Villanueva. I'm David Cohen, and thank you for watching. Come back tomorrow, because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know it's time to be uh, to I be there. Thanks very much, everyone.